stop snowing. Maybe we can get going now. I told you it was that coyote who was by here. Tiro, the great creating one. We love stories! It's time for the Appleseed. Sometime just about every day, filled with stories for you and your family. And uh, we've got a, a lot coming up this hour. We're going to have a great hour today. Listening to stories from Susan Strauss and also from Fran Yardley. Susan Strauss tells ancient tales, myths about creation and natural phenomenon. We're going to hear a couple of those today. We're going to hear an ancient Pawnee creation myth. And we're also going to hear a story about Coyote. Coyote, the trickster, right? You'll hear a coyote tale called Coyote Brings Salmon to the Columbia. Both of those stories by Susan Strauss, they're coming up. And we're going to bring you a story by Fran Yardley today, too. Now, this is a personal tale about uh, an experience that Fran and her sister had when they were young. Her sister, uh, who she called Speedy, so it's Speedy and Franny, uh, in an adventure together uh, that has to do with coming home from boarding school in Connecticut. And they have to fly from Hartford, Connecticut to Buffalo, New York, and it includes plenty of room for a wintertime adventure as these two sisters travel together, Franny and Speedy. And now, a story called Refusing to Fly. This is Fran Yardley, here on The Appleseed. My dad could do just about anything. Back in the 1940s, when he walked into his first job, his boss said, okay, kid, you got good handwriting. You write the labels that go on the bins for these screws and nuts and bolts. So day after day after day, that's what he did. Until one day, he thought, wait a minute. This is Bell Helicopter I'm working for. These screws and nuts and bolts hold together a helicopter. So he started teaching himself what that meant. He worked his way up until finally he was Mr. Bell's right-hand man. Mr. Bell sent him to Argentina and Peru and Brazil to educate people about this newfangled instrument. And he taught them about what the helicopter could do for them, things like crop dusting, and rescuing people. By the time I was in eighth grade, my dad was working for the Buffalo Sabres, the National Hockey League team. His job there was to make everything go smoothly between the Sabres and the public. So he made it his business to know every employee. One day, he took me into Memorial Auditorium the place was huge. The ceiling looked like a giant jungle gym in the sky. He introduced me to Annette, the usher. Annette, I'd like you to meet my girl, Franny. How's that boy of yours doing in college? Mr. Foreman, he's doing just great, thanks to you. He wouldn't be there without your help. Well, you tell him to keep up the good work. We wound our way through the auditorium, and my dad introduced me to every last hot dog vendor and usher in there. Come on, we're going up to the press box. We went all the way to the top of the auditorium. Jerry, I'd like you to meet my girl, Franny. How's that wife of yours feeling today? Much better, thank you, Mr. Foreman. 
While Jerry and my dad were talking, I leaned out over the half window and looked down into the auditorium below and all the seats around. And then, in that box that hangs over the rink, the one where the score usually is, suddenly, in lights, it said, Hi, Franny. Wow! Hi, Franny! In lights for 10,000 people to see. If they'd been there. My dad could do that. Back in 1959, my sister and I were on our way home from boarding school for a midwinter break. She was 17, I was 15. We hadn't been home for a couple of months. I couldn't wait to see my mom and dad and sleep in my own bed, pat the dogs and cats, and best of all, have a home-cooked meal. We had to get from Hartford, Connecticut to Buffalo, New York, so we went by airplane, Mohawk Airlines. We called it Slowhawk because you got on the plane in Hartford and went up in the air and came down in Albany, went up in the air, came down in Syracuse, and you went up and came down in Rochester and went up and finally came down in Buffalo. We were going home to go skiing, so we packed our ski things, and then we put on our travel outfits, like our mother had taught us. White blouse, little circle pin at the collar, skirts, stockings, flat shoes, we were all set to go. We got on the plane and we went up in the air and came down in Albany. And we went up and we came down in Syracuse. And then we just sat there. We sat there for what seemed like a really long time. I looked out the window. It had begun to snow. Speedy! My sister was the first girl in our family after two boys, and she spent so much time running around trying to keep up with them that we called her Speedy. Speedy, look, it started to snow. It'll be good skiing. Yeah, she said, that looks good. We sat there some more. Finally, a voice came over the loudspeaker. It was the pilot. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sorry to inform you, but due to weather difficulties, we are going to have to ask you to disembark, and we shall arrange for alternate transportation to your destination. Thank you. Speedy, what does he mean by... But my sister had already gotten up and collected her things and was getting off the plane with everyone else, so I followed her. In the airport, we finally got to the front of this long line, the lady behind the desk looked starched, like she'd just been ironed. Well, now, I see that you two are going to Buffalo, so we have arranged for you to go by bus. And all you need to do is go out and get on the bus right now. Your luggage is being loaded even as we speak. Do, do we have time to call my parents? They, they don't even know where we are. Oh, no, there's no time. The bus is going to leave any second, but don't worry. You'll be in Buffalo in no time. As we started out the door, I said, Speedy, do we have time to get something to eat? I'm starving. I hadn't eaten since breakfast. It was now mid-afternoon. No, Franny, come on. We got to get on the bus now. We went out and climbed aboard. Every seat was taken. 
except for a couple on the bench in the back right by the bathroom. As we started back, I noticed there was already a man on the bench. He looked wrinkled, like he'd just come out of a suitcase. But he moved over so we could sit down. The second we sat down, the driver put the bus in gear and off we went. We'd only gone about a block when we hit the first pothole. I bounced up, my head hit the sloping ceiling, and I was sitting there rubbing it when the man next to me said, Well, I, uh, I see we have the first-class seats back here. I would imagine they'll be coming any minute now with our first-class meal, don't you think? Complete with an ice cream sundae, huh? Really? Uh, no, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was just kidding. <laughs> nice idea, though, isn't it? My name is John Elliott. What's yours? I, I'm Franny. This is my sister, Spe Sally. Well, it's nice to meet you both. You know, you remind me of my daughter. How old are you, anyway? Fifteen? Well, she's fourteen. You play basketball? Uh-huh. Well, so does she. She just started. And whenever I'm home, I always go to her games. And afterwards, I always take her out for an ice cream sundae. A different flavor every time. Wow. The bus bounced on through the endless white of the falling snow. After a long time, it began to slow down, and then it stopped. I looked out. It was now pitch dark, but I could still make out huge snowflakes falling. Word began to filter back on the bus. A man in front of us turned around. They say that there's so much snow, the bus can't go any further, and we're just going to have to stay here until a plow comes or it stops snowing or something. I could see that I wasn't going to get my home-cooked meal that night. After a while, I put my head on my sister's shoulder and closed my eyes. All during that night, every once in a while, I awoke with a start. Ugh crick in my neck, cold air swirling around my feet, a hollow pit in my stomach. And one time, I woke up and looked out. There was a gray haze. I looked more closely. Speedy, it stopped snowing. Maybe we can get going now. Everyone on the bus was waking up. Word began filtering back. The man in front turned around. They say there's a service area up ahead about three-quarters of a mile. Anyone who wants to can walk up there. About two feet of snow fell last night. Mr. Elliot had woken up. What do you say, girls? You want to go for it? I looked out at the snow. And then I looked down at my travel outfit. The stockings and the flat shoes. I don't know, Mr. Elliot. It looks kind of cold out there. Well, I would imagine it'll service area. They'd probably have a food counter, wouldn't you think? Really? Let's go. We followed Mr. Elliot off the bus. Everyone else was getting off, too. The bus driver had opened up the side compartment. Everyone was pulling their luggage out and finding anything warm that they had to put on. We put on our ski parkas, pulled our ski pants on over our skirts, and then we put on our ski boots. These were ski boots from the 1950s, lace-up things. Not that comfortable for walking, but a lot better than flat shoes. 
I looked over at Mr. Elliot. All he had on was his thin black businessman's coat and his thin black businessman's shoes. But when he saw we were ready, he said, All right, let's go. And we started walking down the path that had been beaten down by the people ahead of us first Mr. Elliot, and then my sister, and then me. By now, the sun had come up. It was brilliant against the white snow. I had to squint my eyes. And the wind had picked up. It was bitterly cold. It stung my cheeks. But we followed Mr. Elliot one step at a time. After a while, I began to think I wasn't going to be able to go one more step. I thought my cheeks would burst on fire from the cold. And then up ahead, I squinted, and on the hillside, I could see, shining like a castle in the sunlight, the service area. We came up to it. Mr. Elliot opened the door. A blast of warm air made me step back. We came inside. It was teeming with people because the whole New York State Thruway had been shut down and anyone who could had now walked to this service area. I smelled something. It was wet wool. Everyone was melting. And then I smelled something else. It was toast. I don't know about you girls, but I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. Oh, that's a great idea, Mr. Elliot. I'll go with you. Franny, we have to call Mom and Dad. They don't know where we are. Oh, right. Uh, okay, Mr. Elliot, we'll, we'll catch up with you. I went with my sister over to the phone booth. There was a long line. Finally, it was our turn. She went in. I went in after her and closed the accordion door. She picked up the receiver, put a coin in, dialed the number. I could hear my father's muffled voice at the other end. Dad? Hi, it's Speedy. <laughs> Hi. No, we're fine. We're, we're okay. Yeah. Well, after we couldn't go by plane anymore, uh, we got on a bus and, and we went um, for just a couple of hours and then we were stuck all night. And, and then this morning we walked to the service area and I, I, I don't know where... Okay, I'll, I'll find out. Here's Franny. She handed me the phone and went out. I put it up to my ear. Hello? Franny? I had been fine until I heard my father's voice. Daddy? Daddy, I want to come home. Franny, are you all right? No, I'm hungry. Well, you're at a service area, right? So there, there must be a food counter there. I, I don't know. There's so many people I can't tell. Well, when you get off the phone with me, I want you to go, and I'm sure you're going to find a food counter. Do you have some money? Yes. All right. So you're just going to go and, and find something to eat, okay? Okay, Daddy. And I don't want you to worry about a thing. I'm going to take care of everything, all right?
You're listening to a story called Refusing to Fly here on the Appleseed. Fran Yardley is the storyteller, and it's the adventurous story of two sisters, Franny and Speedy, these two teenage girls who are traveling from boarding school in Hartford, Connecticut, to Buffalo, New York. And, of course, they're thrown an initial curveball when, due to weather, the plane can't fly at all, but ground transportation is arranged for them. And now Fran's pent-up emotion comes to the surface in a phone call with her dad. And uh, her dad, of course, assures her that there's nothing to worry about, that he'll take care of everything. But what could he possibly mean by that? There is a lot more to this story coming up, and we're going to bring it to you a little later on in the hour. Uh, We're going to take a break, and then we'll be back with a couple of Susan Strauss stories, one a Pawnee creation myth, and then another called Coyote Brings Salmon to the Columbia. You'll enjoy them both. We're happy to be with you. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard the beginning of a story called Refusing to Fly, about two sisters, Franny and Speedy, who are traveling from boarding school in Hartford, Connecticut, to Buffalo, New York. And due to weather conditions, their plane won't fly. So ground transportation is arranged for them. And there's all kinds of adventure in that story. When we last left them, of course, they were just... uh, Franny was having a conversation with her dad on the phone, who was assured her that everything would be okay. Will it? Well, you'll find out later on in the hour. But first, we want to bring you a story from Susan Strauss. Now, Susan Strauss tells a lot of ancient stories, creation myths, and we're going to let Susan Strauss introduce this story, an ancient creation myth. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. The Skiddy Pawnee elders say that each animal has something, some medicine to teach us. In their traditional ways, the wolf spirit is related to the change of seasons, to death and renewal. Before there was earth, before the first dawning, before there was light, there was only Tirao, Tirao, the great creating one, and Tirao was calling across the sky path, calling the spirits along the sky path, calling the powers of the four directions, calling them all together in one great creation council. And together, they, the spirits of the sky path, they began to sing, singing and shaking their rattles, 
singing and shaking their rattles. And as they sang, why great winds, great winds gathered clouds, great winds whipped clouds together in deep, dark pools. And there were clouds gathered together in deep, dark pools. Tyrol dropped a rose quartz pebble. Easily it fell in among the clouds, and then the lightning and thunder beings gathered and struck right into it. At once, the storm began to subside. The clouds dispersed, and below the creators of the sky path, there was a vast ocean. And the powers of the four directions, they took their war clubs and hit into these waters, spilling up huge tidal waves, revealing the lands of the earth. But it was not until the lightning and thunder beings gathered and struck right into the earth that there was life in it. And all at once, green began to sprout out of the earth, grasses and shrubs and trees, trees growing high up into the skies. But it was not until the lightning and thunder beings gathered and struck right into the trees that there was life in them. And now, Tyrol knew that the waters of the world were not good to drink. And once again, he called across the sky path, calling the powers of the four directions, calling the spirits of the sky path together. And they were singing, singing and shaking their rattles. And as they sang and shook their rattles, why great winds, winds whipped across the earth, winds carving deep ravines through the solid earth, and storm clouds gathered there and poured their waters into these deep ravines. But it was not until the lightning and thunder beings, not until the lightning and thunder beings gathered there and struck right into the waters. Carried the sound of thunder within their rolling that Tirawa knew these waters would be sweet to drink. And on and on and on the spirits of the sky path sang our world into existence. All of them were there in the beginning, except for one, the forgotten one, the wolf. 
southeastern sky. The wolf spirit watched and wondered. Curious about the creation below, the wolf spirit sent itself down to the earth in the form of a gray wolf and began tracking upon the land. Now the creators decided to send down to the earth thunder as a man to examine the creation. And thunder was a magnificent being. He was made out of the storm clouds of the west. And his mother, the evening star of the west, wove for him a great whirlwind sack. His father, the morning star of the east, gathered stars from along the sky path and spilled these into his whirlwind sack. These stars would be the first human beings. And thunder threw this whirlwind sack across his back, and easily he moved through the air, over the land, his hair made of light, wispy clouds, his shoulders wrapped in a buffalo robe of dark storm clouds. And when he stepped down to the earth, his legs struck as great lightning bolts onto the earth. And there, out of his blackened footsteps, Buffalo leaped out and ran off into the grasslands. Easily he traveled to the south and the east and the north. All the while, the wolf was tracking his footsteps. Now at times, thunder would come down to the earth as a great giant of a man and he would take his whirlwind sack and set it on the earth, and out would pile these little human people. They would set up their teepees and lodges, and some would go off and hunt buffalo. Then they would gather together and have a great feast. Thunder ate with them at their feast, so delighted in these little human beings that when they were finished, he would take his whirlwind sack and set it on the earth and just suck them up into his whirlwind sack and carry them across his back. Now, when the wolf caught up with thunder... Thunder was sleeping with his head up against the front range of the Rocky Mountains. He was using the whirlwind sack as a pillow. The wolf, seeing the sack and thinking there might be something good to eat in it, crept closer and closer. The wolf at the sack, nipped at it, pulled it, pulled it, pulled it, and leaped back and ran off into the south grasslands. Now the wolf traveled far into the south grasslands and then lay the whirlwind sack on the earth and out piled these human beings. And some were setting up teepees and lodges and 
others ran off to hunt buffalo. One old woman, seeing the wolf and thinking that the wolf might be thunder in another form, invited the wolf into her lodge and offered him some dried buffalo meat. The wolf lapped it up. But the others, who had run off to hunt buffalo, why, there were no buffalo there, and they began to wonder, who is that strange animal in the old woman's lodge? Why are there no buffalo here? That one, it must be an evil spirit. And then, far, far off in the distance, they saw thunder coming. Yes, they thought, that one, it must be an evil spirit. And they all piled into the old woman's lodge. They fit their arrows in their bows and shot at the wolf. The wolf, honey, loped and dropped. Then outside of the old woman's lodge, such a storm began to gather. And the people all piled out there. Thunder was standing above them. You have killed an animal you did not know. Now that you have killed one that you did not know, another mystery will live in its place. Death. in my whirlwind sack. But now you will know death. And thunder told these first human beings to take the skin of this animal and wrap it into a sacred bundle Hang it in their lodge, facing to the North Star, which is the guardian of all life. He told them that soon there would be many animals like this one, roaming all about the earth, and they would be called Skidak, the wolf, and you, he said, You will be called Skiddy Pawnee, Wolf People, so that in your name and in death you will never forget to honor the mysterious one. <laughs> 
story from Susan Strauss, an ancient creation myth from the Skidi Pawnee, the wolf people. In that story, when the wolf spirit gets left out of creation, he comes down to earth and sets human beings free, the repercussions of which still impact everything today, right? Well, there's a lot coming up. We've got another story from Susan Strauss in just a minute, a story called Coyote Brings Salmon to the Columbia. You won't want to miss it. And then, of course, after that, we'll hear from Fran Yardley the rest of the story that we began at the beginning of the hour, the story of Franny and Speedy and their adventure traveling from boarding school in Hartford, Connecticut to Buffalo, New York. That's all coming up. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us here on uh, The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story from Susan Strauss, an ancient skiddy pawnee creation myth, a myth from the wolf people. And uh, at the beginning of the hour, you heard the beginning of a story from Fran Yardley about traveling on a winter storm day from uh, Hartford, Connecticut to Buffalo, New York. And lots of adventures uh, have already happened in that story between Franny and her sister Speedy. And there's a lot more to come. We're going to bring you that story at the end of the hour. And uh, right now, though, we want to bring you another story from Susan Strauss. Susan Strauss, located in the Pacific Northwest, as she is, tells a lot of stories a lot of old stories from that area. And this story is called Coyote Brings Salmon to the Columbia. And in this story, when Coyote notices that humans are going to be coming to the land soon, but there isn't any fish for them to eat when they arrive, he decides to bring salmon to the river himself, even though that means having to trick some giants. Here's the story from Susan Strauss on the Appleseed. was making his tricks, 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 way up along the Columbia River. And as he was going along, he looked into the river. He said, hey, there is no nuts in the river. No salmon. Soon the human beings will be coming and they will need to eat salmon. Hmm. Coyote, he made his tracks, 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 tracks further on up the river. And there he came upon a camp of two giant sisters. These two sisters had taken a huge net and captured all of the salmon in the Columbia River and put them up into a great pond that they created by pushing up the earth and making a huge earthen dam. Coyote saw this, and right away he started to use that power that the great creator gave to him, the power of his imagination. Oh, thought Coyote, I know, I know what to do. I'm going to imagine myself to be a stick of firewood. And then these two sisters, they will want to bring me into their camp. Hmm? It's a good idea, huh? 
And so Coyote, he made his tracks, 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 way, way above the camp of the two sisters. And down by the Columbia River, he was imagining himself. And so as Coyote imagined himself, he slowly became this stick of wood. He fell into the river, now as a stick of firewood. He was floating on down past the camp of the two sisters. Hey, I'm a stick of wood. You can pick me up. But he floated on past the camp of the two sisters, and they didn't even notice him. And then that stick of wood became Coyote again. Coyote was using more of that power of his imagination. I know. I, I will imagine myself to be a little baby boy. And then those two sisters will want to pick me up. Hmm? It's a good idea, yeah. And so Coyote, he made his tracks, 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 way, way on up the river. And when he was by the Columbia, he imagined himself. And so as he imagined himself, he slowly became a little baby boy all laced up on a cradle board and the cradle board went into the river it was floating down the river And sure enough, as the baby came floating past the camp of the two sisters, the one sister, she heard the baby crying. Oh, oh, sister, sister, oh, oh, look, look, what a beautiful baby boy. Oh, said the older sister, that baby looks a little bit like a coyote to me. Oh, let's see if this baby is hungry. And the younger sister, she put the baby down in their camp and she went to get her basket full of eels. Is the baby hungry? Oh, such a beautiful baby. And she pulled out a tiny little eel and dangled it in front of the baby's mouth. Is the baby... Oh, that baby is hungry. I will feed that baby another eel. She pulled out another long eel and dangled it in front of the baby's mouth. Is the baby still hungry? Huh? He said. Oh, that baby is hungry. I better feed that baby a third eel. And she dangled the third eel. That is a good eating baby. I will feed that baby a, a fourth. Is the baby still hungry? Hmm? Is the baby? 
is a good eating baby. I better feed that baby a fifth eel. And she dangled the eel in front of the baby's mouth. Now the baby ate almost all of the eel, except for its tail, which hung outside the baby's mouth, and right away the baby just went to sleep, snoring with the eel outside its mouth. Oh, that is such a good eating and sleeping baby. Come, sister, while the baby is sleeping, let's go get some firewood. And the two sisters went out. But while they were away, that baby... (coughs) ...opened one eye and the other eye and then changed himself back into Coyote. Now Coyote had his back sack, and in his back sack he had a digging stick, and he began to dig holes in that earthen dam. And all at once there came a broken his digging stick. Coyote looked into his back sack and there he pulled out a second digging stick. I knew I had this digging stick. I just forgot about it. And now with his second digging stick he was punching those holes in that earthen dam with a and a And uh, when all of a sudden he heard this Coyote had broken his second digging stick. Now he had to look in his back sack. And sure enough, he had a third one. And he pulled that out and he said, I knew I had this stick. I just forgot about it. And now he took his third digging stick and he was punching holes in that earthen dam, trying to break it down. And he was punching those holes and punching those holes when all at once there came a... (laughs) My third digging stick... But when Coyote calmed down, he realized that he had a fourth digging stick. I knew I had this stick. I just forgot about it. He pulled out that fourth digging stick and now he was digging with a shk and a shk and a shk and a shk when all of a sudden there came a And Coyote calmed down. He, he looked into his back sack, and sure enough, he had a. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
fifth digging stick. And he said, I knew I had this stick. I just forgot about it. So now with his fifth digging stick, he was punching those holes with a shk, and a shk, and a shk, and a shk. When all of a sudden there came a Now, Coyote had no more digging sticks. So what did he do? He did what any dog person could do. He took out his claws and he dug and 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 dug until he dug a hole into that earthen dam which broke open the dam and all of the water and the nuts oh they came swimming swimming out and rushing down 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 into the columbia river and coyote he hid behind some trees the two sisters came home Oh, sister, sister, where is all of our salmon? Oh, and where is that baby? I told you it was that coyote who was by here. And just then, coyote came from behind the tree and he said, You two sisters, changed them into small little swallows. And those swallows, they flew up along the cliffs of the Columbia River. And Coyote said, Soon is the coming of the human beings, and when they come to fish for Natsu'o along the Columbia River, and they see these swallows, they will say, hey, there are the ancestors of those two who thought they could keep all of the salmon to themselves. And then Coyote said, it is a very good thing I am doing. And he went on his way, making his tricks, 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 Coyote making tracks in a Susan Strauss story called Coyote Brings Salmon to the Columbia. We've got one more tale for you. In fact, it's the continuation, the completion of a tale that we began at the beginning of the hour. A true life adventure story from the 50s featuring a couple of sisters, Franny and Speedy, who are headed home to Buffalo, New York for a home-cooked meal after being at boarding school in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, in the first part of the story, we learned, of course, that weather caused the plane to be grounded. And uh, so they find ground transportation for the girls to get to Buffalo, New York. And they meet folks on the trip, folks like Mr. Elliot, about whom we're going to hear a little bit more in just a bit here. But uh, during during a stop, a midwinter storm stop, they uh, call their dad. And uh, in a phone conversation with her father, Franny breaks down and her dad assures her that everything's going to be okay, that he's going to take care of everything. But what on earth might that mean? And uh, as we pick up the story, uh, dad is going to ask to talk to Franny's sister, Speedy. The continuation now of the story uh, by Fran Yardley, a story called Refusing to Fly, here on The Appleseed. Seed. <laughs> 
I handed my sister the phone, and she told my father where we were. When she got off, she said, Dad said we should get something to eat. I know, let's go. So we went over to where the food area was, and after waiting in line a long time, finally a tired-looking waitress said, May I help you girls? Well, we'd just like something to eat. Anything at all would be fine. How about some cereal? That, that would be great. She came back carrying two bowls of Rice Krispies, my favorite. I put so much milk and sugar in that bowl, you could hardly see those Krispies floating around. I had three bowls of it and finally felt better. We looked around for Mr. Elliot, but we couldn't find him. We didn't want to go outside. No one did. After a while, we noticed a commotion over in one corner. We worked our way over there. I looked over people's shoulders and finally down into a booth. There was a man lying there. His face was pasty white. He was sweating. Speedy, it's Mr. Elliot. What's wrong with him? There was a nurse bending down by him. Well, dear, he has a bracelet. It says that he's a diabetic. We think that maybe he went into a coma. Is he going to be all right? Well, we've sent for help. We hope so. Just then, there was a deafening sound overhead. Whoop, up, 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 up. Everyone looked up. And then everyone rushed to the back window and looked out and up. Whoop, up, 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 up. A helicopter came into view over the back field. Whoop, up, 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 up. It began lowering itself down into the field. And when it got close enough to the ground, the rotor blades stirred up the snow. And in sunlight, it looked like crystals. The rotor blades began to slow. And stop. The door of the helicopter opened. And out stepped my dad. Franny, that's dad! I know, let's go! We grabbed our parkas, we ran out, we ran across two feet of snow. My father swooped us up. Are you girls all right? Yes, daddy, I'm fine. I even had something to eat. I had some right. Good! Get in the copter. Meet the pilot, Mr. Carlson. A man was leaning out. He said, Boy, am I glad to meet you girls. You know, your dad called me right up. He said, Floyd, my girls are in trouble. You got a copter? I wouldn't even be a helicopter pilot if it weren't for your dad. Come on in, girls. He pulled us into the copter. My father got in, closed the door. Mr. Carlson started up the motor. The rotor blade started up. And soon the helicopter was lifting off the ground like magic. I looked out the glass bubble window and watched the service area roof as it got smaller and smaller. And then I noticed the whole landscape around us below. It was all white, except for this dark slash that was the New York State Thruway with all the cars and trucks on it that weren't going anywhere. What about them? What are they going to do? What about them?
The helicopter started moving forward, and my attention was taken up with everything around me. Soon the metropolis of Buffalo came into view. Something caught my eye off to the right. It was another helicopter. Mr. Carlson, who's that? Where are they going? Oh, it's another copter. They're heading back to the same service area we just came from to pick up some guy who's sick. Mr. Elliot. That night, I got to hug my mom, pat the dogs and cats, eat some homemade soup, and sleep in my own bed. The next day, our luggage was returned to us, and the newspaper came out and took our picture. And the following morning, the headlines in the paper read, Dad, in copter, rescues girls. That all happened a long time ago. I now have two daughters who are twice the age I was back then. For a long time, I didn't think about that story much. But now, there's something about the memory of that dark slash on the white landscape and looking down on all those stranded cars that makes me wish it had a different ending. I wish it had gone like this. Whoop, up, 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 up. Everyone looked up and a helicopter came into view. Whoop, up, 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 up. It began to lower itself down in the field behind the service area. And when it had landed, whoop, up, 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 the rotor blades slowed and stopped. The door to the copter opened and out stepped my dad. Franny, that's dad. I know. Let's go. We ran out. We ran across two feet of snow. My father swooped us up. Are you girls all right? Yes, daddy. I'm fine. I even had something to eat. Good. Get in the copter. And I stopped. No, dad. No. There's a man inside. He's our friend. His name is Mr. Elliot, and, and he's sick. He needs this helicopter more than we do. Could you take him and come back for us? My dad leaned back. He looked at me in a way he'd never looked at me before. Yeah, we could do that. Come on, Floyd. Let's go get Mr. Elliot. A few minutes later, my sister and I were inside with everyone else, our noses pressed to the window pane. We watched the rotor blades as they started up. And the helicopter lifted off the ground like magic. And this time, the snow that swirled up in the sunlight looked like diamonds. When the helicopter got high enough, it headed west. And as I watched it go, I knew my dad would come back. He'd land in that copter and get out. I'd run across the field. He'd meet me halfway. Dad, how's Mr. Elliot? They say he's going to be just fine. I'd start walking back towards the helicopter with him. I'd link arms with him. And I would say, well, Dad, it looks like we can do just about anything.
A story called Refusing to Fly, told for us by Fran Yardley. A story in which a couple of sisters, through a traveling adventure, do just a little bit of growing up. And and it's a trip that they think about from time to time, even now. Fran reveals that uh, she has sort of another ending written for that story, an ending in which uh, the girls are even more altruistic, right? Regret brought on by uh, uh, a, a certain maturity, right? Having come through an adventure like that. Maybe you've had a traveling adventure that has made you do just a little bit of growing up, or at least taken you outside of your comfort zone. And if you do, gosh, turn to the people that you love and share that story with them. Thanks for being with us today. Join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed, or Google the Appleseed podcast. And of course, uh, today's episode was produced in part by Alyssa Mingurance. The producer of the Appleseed is Jeff Simpson. Our sound engineer is Stuart Foster. I'm Sam Payne, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.